Sport has the power to change the world. Welcome to Telling Our Football Stories. My name is Boise Kumalo, and my guest today is Selekedi Mukhale, who is an assistant coach for Mamelodi Sundowns under 17. In today's episode, he talks about how he got into coaching, maximal training, and Bafana Bafana. Selekedi, how you doing, my guy? I'm good, and you, boys? I'm good, thanks. What you been doing with your time, man? Oh, been coaching. I think it's just been it's just been crazy. I think the start of 2021 um, has got me real busy. Okay. I had to change clubs, involved with national team. I was a part of uh, the under 17 national team that actually was supposed to go to Morocco and things got cancelled for Afcon. And then from there, we went back to work. Eh? Yeah, went straight back to work into football and yeah, amateur football has just kicked off in South Africa across the country across the country. Why did the tournament get cancelled for Morocco? They cited COVID reasons okay. as as as, as uh, the reason for the whole tournament being cancelled six days before the, the start of the tournament. So the first thing was the visas weren't issued. So we were like in camp waiting for visas. The organizers are calling us every day. You guys are supposed to be here. You guys are supposed to be here. We're like, we know, but your embassy is not issuing. So how can we be there? Then eventually, six days before, it was actually two days before the CAF elections and six days before the tournament starts. So everyone was disappointed. And there was even six countries in Morocco at the time. Yeah. Mm. With the new president, with the new CAF president, do you think things are going to be better or no? Things are going to be better. I think there's a, there's a whole host of things he has to get through. Because firstly, I think he has to clean up shop. Okay. In terms of uh, he has to look at coaching education to level the CAF courses to be relevant in Africa and consistently be given in Africa and to update the curriculum of, of the CAF courses as well, which is needed. Then there's also the development side of it. How do you market? How do you do inter, intercontinental competition? So I, like I read yesterday, he's launching a, a Pan-African Schools competition, which is great. So what, what we've been discussing is what about, if you're having a UEFA Youth League, why don't we have it like in our zones? Kosafa regions, you have a couple of teams and we play each other because it's not long flights and you can get direct flights from here to any Kosafa region. Right. So if you have it in your zones, it will sort of be like a UEFA Youth League, but it's got a lot of work. And mind you, the guy's also, well, he's my former club president, so I'll root for him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay. Well, hey, let's talk about how it all started for you, man. How did you get into football? Yo, as in the playing or the coaching or just all together. Let's start with the playing side of things. Yo, the playing side was from the dusty streets of Takane, playing in the hood, you know, with your friends and it's informal. Whoever's got a ball, we're all around there. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you find yourself gravitating to the ball. When you go to school, whoever's got a ball, you're asking those kids, can I play? 
And then if hey, a friend calls you in the 90s, like, hey, Muna, come play here. We've got a ball. And then you're like, okay, cool. And then you become the kid that's getting the calls. So from about 94, my family moved to to a suburb. We were actually the one of the first few black people in the white suburb. Yeah. And now things changed because, I mean, I was in Sakane. Sakane, it's only black people. Now I get to a white suburb. Now there's no soccer ball. So it's either when I go to school, there's a ball, or weekends when I go when I go visit my cousins back home, we play. So that's how I grew the love of football. But at school, I saw, okay, it's actually got a vibe. It's actually, there's a league, there's a there's structures. And that's how we got to play. And funny enough, the first thing I remember was, I want to make Eastern Transvaal. Yeah. I don't know, there was something about it, like you want to make Eastern Transvaal. And as time went on in my high school years, it changed now. Eastern Gauteng and whatnot. And then you're like, oh, okay, the uniforms change. Unfortunately, when I got to high school, I went to JP for one year. And in that year, when I went to JP, uh, there was no football. But it was funny because when I was at JP, there was a lot of guys wearing the SA tracksuits, the Eastern's blazers. Right. But I was a border, so I was like, oh, come on, guys. Where <laughs> you guys doing this football? Like, Namish, eh? Yeah. And you're like, oh, guys, you guys wearing all these things. I went in, but for that year, I didn't play football, nothing. Oh, wow. I get back home, change schools, go back to Veritas. I get involved with, um, I think my primary school club was Springs FC uh, in Springs. And then when I got back, I played for Opens, uh, Openonians in the East. Yeah. So, but funny enough, by that time, I wasn't actually interested in being a pro footballer. Oh, hold up, man. So growing up, playing the game, did you have guys that you look up to? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, the most funniest part was uh, I looked up to Zane, uh, Zane Musa. He was one of my favorite players. I uh, And when I got in primary school, I had a finish with uh, Mark Fish and Toby. That's how I actually... My one of my best friends. I mean, we laugh about this thing, like how we played center back, because like the the team was full and there was two spots left. And I was like, ah, let's play together next to each other. Then they're like, wait, let's go play center back. <laughs> and that's how we played center back. And then, but later on, I got moved. And then, by the time I was twelve, you know, um, I don't know how I got this epiphany. But looking at the way development was, was moving, academies were popping up. I mean, you were looking at School of Excellence. You started to hear that Pirates has got something, Chiefs has got something. And there's a new formation of, of an IX coming in, uh, Super Sports. And then somewhere, somehow, one of my friends was scouted by Glasgow Celtic. Mm. And, and I said to my parents, guys, um, this guy's been scouted by Celtic and they wanted, they couldn't sign him alone. They wanted a friend to come with him. And I remember we used to play at the same club. And I said, guys, I'll volunteer. And my plan was, you go overseas, you make sure you stay overseas and you just kill the opportunity. Yeah. Because my friend was brilliant. But the most unfortunate part was 
he his parents said no. They're like, you're too young. The option shut. Oh, wow. And then by that time, I was like, wow. Uh, I don't think our parents were in tune of what's happening in football at the time. Because by that time, we were already discussing, guys, there's a lot of age cheating. There's this, there's that. And that time, Davidson, because you're from the East, Davidson is booming with talent. I mean, you're hearing Chabupule got signed. There's a Scapi Mulati, there's a Junior Kali. And every time we're playing schools from Davidson, we're scratching our heads and we're like, Ish, guys, it's bad. But there's also cheating amongst them, age cheating. Yeah. And we're like, guys, South African football is not ready to, you know, for guys that really want to make it, we're going to be outside of your your structures. So if you weren't playing provincial schools or club schools or in an academy, it was done. Okay, let me ask you this, man. So what happened to your friend and what's your friend's name? Uh, it was Cheswin Johnson. And he he actually played for Swallows and then eventually got into drugs, unfortunately. So at that time, um, we didn't see it. So like, Swallows, it was his high school career. They kept on pushing him. They wanted him. They got him. But he was still heartbroken about the opportunity of not going overseas. So I remember I met up with him about 10 years ago. And I was like, and we're just having a conversation. And I was like, hey, man, what happened? And then he's like, dude, you don't understand how emotionally that broke me. I'm like, yeah, but we're 13 and there was other people still chasing you. He's like, you know what? When you have seen things in Europe, like your Champions League and whatnot, and this thing just slips through your fingers. How motivated are you? Because now we have to be put through hoops. Now you're put through trials. Now you're put through this. And those guys wanted to sign me on the spot. Yeah, man. And, yeah. And at that time, you're thinking of uh, actually Hendrik Larson playing for Celtic. And he was like, dude, 2001, he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm broken. I'm really broken because that opportunity... It was for me to actually see the world from a different eye. And I was like, yeah, I know I get you. So by 13, you're looking at kids. I was saying by 13, if I didn't go, I'm not going to make it. But the funny part was um, going up in high school, I kept on saying to myself, I don't know if I, I don't want to be a professional footballer. I think I've missed the opportunity, but I want to be close to the pitch, but I don't know how. So by high school, you already decided that you, you don't want to chase uh, a dream of being a professional player. Why, why was that? Were you good enough or were you not good enough? There's, there's something that it, it can only be God. There's something that happened. In high school, by the time we were 13 at school, there was, there was a couple of friends were saying, guys, but I don't think we're getting coached enough. We're talented, but we, we don't have the exposure in getting coached enough. And we'd always make these ramblings. And until I attended like a few trials and I saw, oh, okay, there's other guys who've got like extremely good talent. But I kept on saying, but this pool is big enough for all of us to eat, you know? But some part of me, it got intrigued when I met like my first proper coach at Springs FC. Then I realized, oh, shit. I, oh, sorry. Then I realized okay, man. we didn't we didn't get this training all along. 
I mean, by that time, I was like, oh, now I understand why that guy can be that good. Okay. And I kind of hate stopping you here because I, I had so much to ask. When you were playing, did you ever get coaching before you met these guys? And what kind of coaching did they give you that was different from the previous coaches? Uh, the first the first coach, let me say proper coach. It was always school teachers. It'll be a guy from the hood. It was like, I just play. Okay. But then the 13, at 13, I met uh, Coach Ian. He was the first guy who... Ian Palmer? No, 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 not Palmer, Palmer. It was just a local guy. Okay. Ian, I forget his, I forget his surname. But he was like, dude, first thing, training's actually got structure. Training's got drills, it's got objectives. And I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, now we're doing tactical work. And I'm like, wow, okay, this is something new. And I'm, and it's 13. It's new. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is weird. It's very weird. And then at that time, I knew something is missing. You looked at guys from Kempton. You looked at guys from Boxburg. You looked at guys, you know, from various clubs, bigger clubs, bigger institutions. And I just realized that there's something that we missed. So my friend was naturally talented. We went to the same school in 95, 96. Uh, but we played together and we always saw each other. We played against each other, then we played together. And then even him, he even said something so profound. Like Cheson was like, you know, all along you think you're talented playing schools football. But when you get out your hood and you get out the region, you realize there's other guys who can match your talent or even better. But it's just not to to be swallowed by that. And I was like, yeah, no, that's true. And we went out, we still competed, no problem. 14, I go to JP. There's no soccer. There's hockey, totally different sport to the fit. They're like, ah, dude, you've played football. I'm like, yeah, I've played football. They're like, this is exactly like football, but it's a stick. I'm like, there's no way. I'm I'm 14 years old. What am I what are you guys gonna teach me? Literally, these guys made me a provincial player within three months. The first guy was from Rez, uh, from a hostel. He taught me how to hold a stick and slap a ball. Then the coach doubled it up. Technique, technique, technique. Then he challenged me tactically. So when I, once, I could, once I could hold a stick, slap a ball, make a tackle, run off the ball, then I, then I understood time and space. And then he said, his last instruction was apply all your football knowledge, like you're playing a left back here. Yeah. And I was like, ah, oh, that's easy. And I was like, okay, but where was this maybe in football, you know, six years or seven years prior? Then two years down the line, the guy who confirms it and seals it for me is another coach, Coach Moabi. Moabi went to a provincial tournament. We never lost anything in hockey. But before the tournament, we lost everything. We were bad. He kept on complaining every day. Ah, you guys, you guys, this and this and this. In the tournament, that's when I actually heard analysis for the first time of opponents. He broke it down. We were playing border. And he's like, hey, we're playing border. Border, border originally, uh, you know, lots of colored uh, people. Yeah. They're going to have pace. They're going to have creativity. 
but the one thing that they're going to like is structure. And I was like, what, do you, what is this guy talking about? He's like, okay, you guys will see it in the game. Just playing according to his instructions, we won that game too, no. And then the lights came on. I was like, okay, this guy's cut from a different club. Next game, he watched all the opponents and he'll tell you position by position. This is what you must do. This Your opponent is doing this and this. That was analysis for the first time. I go back to football. I still don't meet coaches at that level yet. Yeah. And I'm 16. I'm like, no, something, something is wrong. Now you get to 17, 18. And now you, you expose a little bit more in the football world. And then you realize, yes, you know what? At 18, if you if you if you're saying you not that you can't be a professional, but the hours, the hours that you put in, what have you been putting in? What have you been exposed to? And then I realized I missed out too much coaching and too much structure. Schools football was good, but I didn't meet the right people at the right time. Yeah. So how did you get into coaching then? <laughs> Uh, first bit of coaching actually happens at, at primary school where a friend of, a friend of mine who's actually a coach, ironically, um, we have inter-house sports and then it started off like a crazy thing. We were 11 at the time and we're like, let's try this coaching thing as a joke. And then he's like, yeah, you take your team. I'll take my team. We'll play against each other. And then we started doing that like every year annually. Like, you have a team, I have a team. I beat you this year. No, that year you beat me. Ah, that year my team wasn't good enough. And then in high school, similar path. He was also like, dude, it's late for me. I'm not going to be a pro. We go, we went to the same varsity, and he wanted to be an agent. And I was like, dude, you, have, you don't have the balls to be an agent. Leave <laughs> me an agent. We get to, to, to UP Tux, and there's hours, coaching hours. And I remember I got taken at varsity at tax because they're like, you got a brilliant hockey CD. Come play hockey. And I was like, but I love football. I love football. Then the guys were there. They're like, ah, oh, we're going to go do our coaching hours at the club. And I was like, this sounds cool for me. Let's go do coaching hours. They were doing under 11th. I was doing under 8th. I wanted to run away within two weeks. I wanted to quit. <laughs> I was like, these kids are crazy. They don't listen. I'm out. And I remember I got some advice. Like, you know what? Just, just stay in it. Um, everybody starts as an amateur. Yes, you might not know how to do exercises and so forth. And it'll come. And then that's how we got into it. Let me ask you this. So when you went to this coaching, this U8, did you have somebody show you, hey, this is what you need to do? Or you just went and you did your own thing? Yes, there was, there was actually three of us in this age group. There was the head coach who, had, who was a little bit more experienced, also a sports science student as well. Okay. And he took me under his wing to show me this is how you better do things. And then there was another guy who was a parent, uh, one of the parents of the boys in an older age group, and he was volunteering. And it was the three of us. So what happened was I'd help out with the A team with, uh, with the head coach. And, and then I was assigned the B team. So halfway through the season, I realized the A team and the B team were, were far apart, technically. 
Mm-hmm. And like I said, let me just start with the basics. Whatever that guy's doing is very complex for these kids. And he was like, that's a brilliant idea. And literally, we covered it all. I mean, we covered it. Half the team got promoted to the A team the following year just because of me pushing them technically. Like, guys, you're passing, you're receiving. Okay, passing under pressure. Now we're adding that element without, you know, play 1v1, play 2v2s, play 3v3s. And then, yeah, that's how it all started. So how important do you think uh, fundamentals are into to, to the game, like the basics that you just talked about? Because I know a lot of older players, they don't even do basics anymore. They just want to do advanced stuff. Oh, very. Because even 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 the running part of, I was speaking with, with, with uh, one two of our heads today, and we were discussing about just basics. So a crazy thing was... Uh, well, one of my now mentors and also one of my head sambas, he said something so critical. He said, do you understand that if your players don't improve technically and you guys are giving them very complex sessions and they're nice and they're in information overload, you have hardworking players that don't have a tactical insight and that are poor technically. So you'll be frustrated that they can't do the drill properly, but they'll be fit enough to do it, but they don't understand it. <laughs> are you coaching the exercise or are you coaching the players? And I was like, well, we want to coach the players. He said, okay, take it back a little bit. Make sure you solidify the, the, the technical ability. Passing, you're receiving. If your players can pass and receive properly 10 times, 100 times, and so forth, trust me that the tactical part will come because of challenges and resistance from the opponents and each other. And, you know, it took me back to so many teams I've coached. I was like, I missed that thing. And he was always telling, and he was the one who was telling me two weeks ago, certain coaches, because we coach under 17 or, or higher age groups, we even neglect the fact of coaching like passing. We say, hey guys, this is a passing exercise. We don't coach the pass. We don't coach the receiver. Because we assume the boys are old enough. They should be doing this correctly. But he says, if you don't emphasize it, then you're missing out on the quality. Then the exercise is already depleted. So that's how important passing and receiving and all the basics are. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Those things are very important, man. Um, so do you have your coaching qualifications? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, um, I'm a CAFA qualified coach. I've done my my intro, I've done my B license, I've done my A license, I've done my uh, FIFA youth course. I was also privileged actually to be on the first SAFA technical director's course as a participant, which was very rich in, with information as well there, because we had uh, all the guys who had actually applied for being a technical director in 2009, and which was so quality, because we had Farouk Khan, we had um, we had we had great minds in there. So we actually got to, you know, peruse them to say, hey, is this possible? Is this possible? And the youth knowledge was just so much in the room, quality. And then I also got a KNVP four-day course and one-day course. And yeah, I've got, I've got, that's me in a nutshell in terms of qualification. Yeah, the reason I'm asking, man, I have one of my friends, he's currently taking uh, the KFC license. 
and mm. uh, he doesn't really like uh, the course because he's telling me that the instructors are not good. Uh, did you have the similar experience? Yes. Um, well, let me put it to you in a nutshell. Now that when I look back, I can say that my 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 instructors, not all of them, but some of them, weren't good. They they didn't deliver the course like how they should have. Because the funny part was, when I completed my A license, I put all my books there together, the introductory, the B license, the A license, and I went through them. The, the intro was. The book is so rich with information, but we were only taught to design a session. You came out, the only thing you remember, they taught me to design a session. It's talking about periodization, it's talking about a philosophy, it's talking about content, it's talking about mental exercises, but you came out knowing design a session. And it made me think like, why doesn't the lecturer go deep into, into this book? The book is there. I mean, it could have could have helped us. So, in fact, what what the KEF courses are, they're just like a benchmark to 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 measure your education. You've got the difficult job of of increasing. So sometimes you can get to a level, and you're thinking, "Yo, but I already know these things." Mm-hmm. And someone says, "Okay, you know them. That's that's cool." That's because of the work you put in. I mean, as coaches, we read, we, we have practical experience. You get into it. So that is just for accreditation. So that's why I never, I actually never tell people like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a qualified coach or whatever. Even my team, I, I, make, I make it a challenge to myself. Because I look young, I get there and the guys are like, hey, we got a new coach. He looks like a player. I'm like, hey, guys, what's up? I'm like, okay, let me make this challenge to you guys. You guys don't have to call me coach. You can call me sir or whatever. If in two weeks or a month, my exercises and the way I conduct myself doesn't demand your respect as a coach, then I've failed. And I've never, till this day, I've never, ever let myself down on that challenge. I always win it. Within two weeks, the guys are there saying, hey, coach. I'm like, why are you calling me a coach? They're like, nah, we understand you got knowledge, your exercises, your exercises help us. You've got insight into the game. And, you know, you make us feel a very much a part of the process. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know I was talking to one of my buddies. I know you might know this guy, Umkolis. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, you were talking about you guys took the A license together. Um, what kind of coaches and coaches? Oh, very knowledgeable coach. Uh, oh, has got the side of uh, analytics about him. He's got an IT background, but I love his mind because he wants to get into a player's mind. So. He's, he's, he's very much informed. He's always reading. He's always wanting to create new standards for himself, which I love that about him. He pushes you to the next limit. So if you play from early, you're going to play good football. You're going to play a pass tactically and technically. Yeah. So he's a top guy. Like I, I even said to him, like, dude, out of, out of, out of all the coaches, 
I rate you highly. Like young coaches in South Africa, I mean, you top my list. You you top my list. You're up there in terms of ideas, execution, and even conducting yourself. You're very clear, articulate, and what even helps you is that, I mean, on the computer side, you're not you're good, and you can map and you can map out your ideas. Data, you're good. Research, you're good. You're one of the most complete coaches I know. So now, how come coaches like Mkolisi don't get these opportunities to coach at the next level? It's 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 very tough because I mean, even 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 when I was at Tax, I remember I used to sing his praise, and guys are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're like, yeah, we've heard of Mkolisi, and I was like, Dude. I did a brainstorming network where our first team coach at the time he came and he heard Mkolisi present. The guy was asking me about Mkolisi for the next two weeks. And I was like, yeah, you guys can exchange ideas. That's what the platform is for. So coaching identification is not a strong point in SA. For some people, it's a passion. For others, it's just a job. And they're lucky to be there. So sometimes people are looking for a name. They're looking for a guy who's played the game at the highest level. He's famous. And then the guy doesn't have... Yes, he played the game at the highest level, but at coaching level, he's not there yet. And we forget that. So a guy like Mkolisi, who can be there at the highest level, he's not given the opportunity because Mkolisi Ngomezu, your boss is like, who the hell is that? Okay, he's got a license and then what? Uh, okay, he can do analysis and then what? You're like, dude, but this guy's a full package. And they don't understand that. For them, they'd rather put a guy who the crowds used to scream against and he admired. And he's like, yeah, I admire this guy. So for bosses, it hasn't turned to be a job yet. They're still fans who own clubs. They haven't turned to guys who are football people, want to produce talent, who want to bring the best out of football. Otherwise, policy, he tops the list. He should be there. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love the fact that you have your coaching qualifications, yourself and guys like Mkolisi. Now, you know, a lot of players, they finish their soccer career and just jump straight into coaching. Do you think it's good for players just to jump into coaching without, you know, doing any coaching license or, or doing any coaching with the youth? Uh, no, no. I think, I, think, I think professional footballers need to take time out first time out to find out what they really want. Um, coaching is not a retirement package for professional players. You don't retire, just become a coach. I think there's many other jobs in in football that could expose them to, to other careers, management in terms of being a team manager, scout, analysis, and so forth. Because coaching, you grow up, you're like, ah, that's the one I want to do. He jumps straight to it. Take time to read, take time to follow people, take time to follow youth coaching, um, amateur level, senior coaching. You know, take time to, to do your research before you jump into it and then find a mentor. Because what you are doing on the field, you don't know how many hours it takes to, to produce a session. You don't know why, you don't know how they planned it. Why is it the uh, intensity, the volume? You don't know any of that. And yet you jump in and then because you're a name, we say, hey, here, you're an ex-pro, boys. Uh, let's, 
welcome to Man United. Yeah. Here you go. And that kid has got that kid has got a dream of achieving what you achieved, going to the top. But you're not educated enough. You don't have the equipment yet. So you're experiment you you are experimenting with my talent. How unfair is that? Why don't you go get equipped first for the position? So and a lot of ex-pros don't like to start at the bottom. They don't like to start at the bottom because they've been in front of cameras all their lives and crowds. At the bottom, there's no one. It's you, the field, and the players. You know, it's crazy. I was, I was, I was, I was, I was telling my colleagues, uh, Isaac, Fire, and I was saying, guys, do you know that you guys, these kids don't know who you guys are, right? But what is even more crazy, 17-year-olds of today barely remember the 2010 World Cup in Africa. So who's a Ronaldinho to them? Mm. You know, who's a Ronaldinho? Adeko Mudise in his prime, who's that? Let alone you guys. And then they're like, yo, that's scary. I'm like, exactly. Now come into a kid's world. To him, the most famous player right now is Ronaldo, it's Messi, it's Neymar, it's Mbappe. Yeah. And that's where you've got to connect with the kid. You cannot, yes, you want to throw down, hey, but it's our history, they should know all these players. I fully understand that. But how can you, how can they relate to you with something that they haven't seen? Yeah. Let me ask you this one, man. How important do you think education is to South African players? Because I know a lot of players, they just want to play football. And then after football, they have nothing to fall back on. It's very important uh, on that aspect. I mean, we, we've been preaching it every day. The fact that South African players, not everyone's going to be a professional. But the problem is we don't know who's going to be the professional in the group. So you need to find other interests. You need to find other interests. If, if footballers do not enjoy the experience on the pitch that we give them, and we're not just talking about training, you're talking about social life, you're talking about uh, imparting knowledge socially, talking to them about there's other careers, there's that. What, the, what other interests do you have? And engaging that aspect of a footballer, not just treating him as you're a footballer. Hmm. You need to unlock all those things. So even in education, if a kid is doing bad, you need to offer other avenues. Are you good at your hands? Are you good at this? Are you good at that? It's very important because a lot of creative footballers, you're not just creative on the pitch. You're a creative human being. And being a creative human being, if you can't express yourself on the pitch, you'll express yourself off it, you'll be a creative criminal. And that's a problem for us. So education is very important to use the whole human being. Say, hey, if this doesn't work out, what other things do you have? Stimulate that area. Yeah, no, I like what you just said there, man. Let's talk a little bit about when you were at Tux. How was your experience at Tux as a coach? It was eye-opening because, I mean, you're fresh. I mean, uh, you're you learning. I actually had two stints at Tux, um, 2007 till 2012, and then 2019 up until this year, January. 
just before I went to Sundowns. So the first the first years were, were were very interesting because we are learning. We're learning everything. We're learning what senior coaches Steve Barker's trying to feed us. We're learning from the courses. And being at Tux at that time was so brilliant because just before the World Cup, we had people, we had Helsingborg passing there. We had different teams coming there, Argentina. And we were exposed to things that even guys outside would have never been exposed to. But the funny part is, in all this knowledge that we, that, that we were acquiring at the time, we still kept on asking very plain questions. Why don't, what is the South African playing style? What is the philosophy? Why are we failing at one, two, three? And that time we're at tax. And <laughs> I remember, I remember we, we, we were a group of young coaches. My one friend, he's also at School of Excellence. And my other longtime friend, KB, is still at tax. And we kept on asking ourselves, after every night, we used to chill on this corner. Uh, Burnett and Glenn in Hatfield mm. talking. So it was crazy. Under street lights, there's a there's a circle just 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 in the middle of the road. So and we talk about the sessions, we talk about players. We'd almost have a debriefing. Guys, are we gonna achieve this dream? Is this thing viable? Is this thing is this thing true? And we kept on pushing each other like gents, let's keep going. Let's keep going. And from that, it also showed us character. Because now people were discouraging. They were telling you, no, play it forward, man. And South Africa doesn't have a playing style. We only wanted forward. Africans must just run, defend, be strong, hold up the ball. And then we're like, but no, that doesn't work. From our education, it shows us that we're different. Southern Africa, if you ever look at uh, Biliat, Biliat is from Zimbabwe. He's got the same frame as a South African. Dominguez uh, from Mozambique. Pelembe, same frame as South Africans. Even uh, Rainford Kalaba, uh, Zambia. Southern Africa means that we've got the same frame. So to basically tie it in, think of, if you have to think of long distance runners in Africa, the countries you think of, Ethiopia, Kenya, uh, you think of those countries. You don't say long distance run and you think of Nigeria. So that means our environment also also plays its part on how we are shaped and what we can do. So very funny thing. If you come to Kokas or anywhere in South Africa, and the moment a player gets on the ball or does a skill, everyone goes, hey, slows down, and then you'll hear the whistling. <laughs> Wherever you are, Kalatan. But it's our language that we don't that we don't talk about. As South Africans, we understand that this is a this is our identity, but we don't want to claim it. So at tax, we were questioning those levels. We were even questioning sports science. We're saying sports science is very general in this country. It's not football specific mm. because it doesn't speak to the African child. We started to question things like nutrition, but I love the one lecturer, uh, Nikki. She was in charge of nutrition. Nikki, uh, Nikki Tavilius. And she said, guys, just because a nutritionist is going to tell you you must eat pasta and rice, have you guys looked at the nutritional value on the plate? Why don't you add to that? Yes, if there's pop there, can't you add uh, 
um, vegetables, meat, half the half, don't take it away completely. Because if you take it away completely, it's a shock to the system, to the African child. So that's why when you guys get to national team, you put pasta, you put mince, but a guy still starving. But Utina Ipapa to be satisfied. So yeah, that was the whole learning experience. Yeah, that, that's an interesting one with the nutrition, man, because I know uh, mm. a, a lot of players, you know, coming from the rural areas or even Soweto, some guys cannot afford some of these foods that these people are talking about. Um, you know, I know I grew up eating bab all the time, you know, then I moved to the US and then they're telling me, hey, you gotta eat like this, you gotta eat like that. And then when you go to the groceries, man, the food is like extra expensive. So I'm like, why am I eating this stuff? You know, so I think what you're talking about, it's a very, very good point. And I know a lot of coaches coming from outside, they don't understand these things. You know, they're just going to treat it the way uh, they treat it because they come from a different country, you know? Yes, that, that is very true. So the learning experience at Tuck, it, it, it was packed with this. The first time around, we were absorbing all this, questioning all these things. So we were even questioning language. I mean, I, I know my, my, my boy, Gabriel was very big on this. Where he, where he was speaking about the fact that it was like in Brazil, they've got more dialects than South Africa. Yes, Portuguese, they're known for Portuguese, but they've got a whole lot more dialects. And he was busy saying, it's so difficult for our kids. The education is in English. But they first touch coach, the, the, the coach who touches them first is a home language code. So the language he uses, yeah. and then you come here, you're talking about transition moments, you're talking about this, and this kid is struggling with English. And he's like, yo, this coach, what's he saying? But the dialect, the dialect, how do we touch our people? So how, what language do you coach with? In. I try, I try, I try to speak to every player according to what they understand. Okay. Because I'll have like, yes, I break it down in English, but depending on the player, because I saw out the player, I'm like, okay, this one is a Sutu speaking. I'll try break it down in Sutu for him so that I connect more with him. If there's a Zulu uh, player as well, I go there and I address it to him because I realize it's so, it's so important because. National team, I remember national team um, with our former Bafana Bafana coach when he first called me up to the under 17 team. And I saw this talented boy from KZN. But every time I looked at this boy's face, he was just playing. Training session, he's playing. But the moment they said play, I saw a gem. And I remember I approached him, started speaking with Isuzu the night. And the boy, the boy said something so profound to me. He said, coach, that's a long puma call. Who coach at the Azulu linking? Hanging a last report. La, but I will coach me last report. And Colella Guleon. Then I was like, this is an identity. These boys, I remember they opened a rondo. We're playing against Chiefs. We're losing 2 1. This boy from Free State, this boy from KZN. Chiefs has just taken a corner, so the box is crowded. These kids opened the rondo in our box. Like literally, and the Chiefs players are trying to press. 
This boy worked it out. He dribbled three players. Forward pass. Dissected half the team. It's three, three v three on the line. We went to goal score. The coaches were shouting, "Yeah, this boy's too risky." I'm like, "Did he meet the objectives?" <laughs> They're like, "Ay, ay, ay, ay." He did, but coach, and we'd laugh about that. But when I engaged the boy, the boy had so much insight from where he comes from. But that's how he grew up. You tell you, "Ah, me na coach has to lose." Ungang chela yonke into. Ungchela buti nga lash. But that was that was his identity. That's KZN for you. Cape Town, yeah, they can play it forward. They can and then second ball. But this boy, he's the one that triggered to say, and I said it to the coaches, guys, let's coach these kids in their mother tongue. I understand. Uh, you guys, we, 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 we have technical terms in English that we haven't translated yet. But if these kids are coached in their mother tongue, because they've got the talent to be here, it's just that they need time to gel and they need you to make them feel comfortable with the sessions. Can we do that? And the guys were like, but we don't have time. Mm-hmm. And we, we always used to have this debate. And I remember the coaches would get frustrated. Then they'd call the players and then they'd only start doing that. Coaching in the mother tongue. Get exactly. Now you're getting what you want because you've reached out to the kid. So, Kauteng kids, it's no problem. Super sports, sundown, chiefs, no problem in English. Outside of this, that's the problem. What is it like coaching at Mamelodi Sundowns? So, when I got there, the first thing was the operation. Like, I'm thinking, okay, national team, yeah. No problem. Been at the highest level. These guys pitch up. They tell you, okay, you used to getting one tracksuit at tags or wherever you go. You're like, here's your tracksuit. That's you for the year. Yeah, they tell you, nah, you've got your training stuff. There's a training schedule. You've got a different apparel for, for every day. Like you have Monday schedule, Tuesday. And then I'm like, oh, okay, that's fine. No problem. Then they're like, no, even on weekends, you've got a match day apparel. Yeah. I'm like, okay, okay, no problem. So I'm I'm there trying to act cool, like, okay, this is normal. Then you get to the boys. And then you're like, okay, these boys, these boys, um, we had, I think, one in the national team. So I always knew Sundowns players, Sundowns players are very talented. Um, when you get to interact with them. But sometimes it, you don't always see the best of them on the field. So I always want to know why, what's happening behind the scenes. Mm. I get to training. I'm like, okay, this is like coaching a national team every day. Then you're like, oh, the level of quality of these boys. And then you're like, oh, okay. But then I'm like, why did, why, how did we miss you? And then you say, but then the boys are like, but coach. I'm a year younger than, I'm a year younger. So you'll find that instead of the 16, uh, instead of being 17, these boys are 16. Like I was playing under 15 when you guys were scouting. I was playing this, I was doing that. Um, and then you're like, oh, okay. And coach, I was still being groomed. And you're like, oh, so why do you guys freeze when you play for this page? Like coach, every game is a big game for us. You come from wherever you come from. 
and you wear this jersey, everybody wants to beat you. So now there's pressure. People want to win. People want to do this. And the coaches are also on our cases. So when are you ever going to see us be free? And I was like, wow. But now that you work with them, you these kids amaze you every week. Every week, there's a story to tell. Every week, you could write a book. I mean, there's we were just talking about playing intelligence this week. I mean, we played a one-touch game. One of our most intelligent player who plays this one-touch game, like we play a small-sided game, but one-touch. We don't look at it just as he's passing. We're looking at it as the decision-making, the, the weight of pass, the way he positions his feet, how he positions himself off the ball, communication, his movement, everything, body weight. This boy was in a shell for the past two weeks. He came out this week and he's like, hey, coaches, I'm still here. And that's what it's like working at Sundance. It's like, work, it's like you're sleepwalking. Yeah. Every day you discover new things. Every day you're learning. The staff are pushing you like, hey, we need the best out of you, coach. And even you being the best, you have to give us the best. And we need to make you the best. So I truly believe you arrive here as a coach, you leave here as a champion. Hmm. because the amount of quality you have and how the club supports you, there's no way that you cannot succeed. Do you do you get a chance to work with the first team at all or no? Or do you just watch? Uh, we watch. We, we've interacted. Under COVID, we've had to just keep distances so that we try not infect. Well, if there's a case, we don't, we don't, we don't affect each other's program. So when we get to Tlorco, we get to watch them from, from a distance. We get to interact with the coaches. Mm. But that's how we, we keep it because of, obviously, COVID. Does, uh, does the youth team play the same style as the first team? Well, <laughs> interestingly enough, um, my, my wife was actually asking me this question last night or sometime. <laughs> and I was telling her that um, it's like going to university. Uh, it's like it's like the education system. There's university and then there's high school. We're building you up for university. So the curriculum might not be the same. We've got the same principles yeah. of what you want and, and what you want to see. But we won't play the same because technically, physiologically, and mentally, we're not there. And even time-wise. But we're trying to build it up. We're trying to build up the same identity within the players for them to understand. Okay. Now... Uh, I grew up watching PSL uh, and I used to love it back in the day. But for some reason, nowadays, I can't stand it. I can't even watch 10 minutes of PSL. What's your take on PSL currently? I think I think we're going through a cycle at the moment where, where it's about to end. The type of coaches, the type of players, where South Africa is actually going through changes. I mean, PSL... PSL, I understand what people say. Sometimes it's a long drawn out game. There's no goals, there's no identity. But people haven't realized in the last three years, the coaches are different now. There's certain coaches who football is working out. And there's new coaches that are coming in. So what are the new coaches going to bring? There's certain players that are even fading out. So it's just a transition period that I think we just have to wait. Wait it out. Because I know at this point in time, 
people love the, the, the tried and tested, you know, mm-hmm. because they're like, ah, I don't want to get relegated. But at the same time, people are looking for something new. So I'm still saying have hope in PSL, but just give it time because it's still working itself out. And yeah, I don't blame the players because I also say our colleagues are also the ones that give the tactics for the players to play. So if our colleagues are defensive at the top, the players are playing according to instructions. So what more can we say? Yeah, so so do you think we should focus more on professional football or youth development? It's twofold. Youth development is the, is the football for tomorrow. It's always exciting to see what is coming up. Mm. Professional football is it's also the indication of where we are and how can we surpass that. You need to keep your eye on both because, um, like I always say, we can't develop. We can't develop the player that we're developing for tomorrow. We're using techniques in development that are not that are not being used at the senior level. So put it this way: if the if senior team have to give us how to develop players, and in five years my players from under 14 to under 19 those tactics become outdated. It means the players are outdated. Okay. Now there's new trends at the top, but we've been using that thing for the past five years. So it means us at youth development, we are dictating the football of tomorrow. It means we must try new things. There'll never be another Messi. They can only be greater and lesser. So how you guys put that, that whole experiment together that's what makes it exciting for you coaches. We come up with creative ways. We come up with new ways, like what's happening in Dortmund um, with, the, with, with the various technology, equipment, and how they're going about development. But you can't isolate the two. You need to focus on, on both at the same time to see, okay, is this, is this going to merge? Yeah. Um, <laughs> interesting, man. How did you get the South African national team job under 17? <laughs> what actually happened was um, Coach Vela, the current under 17 coach, he was assistant to coach in Turkey. I coached, he was, he was a senior coach at Tax in 2006, 2007, 2008. So when I was coming as a young coach, he was one of the coaches that always used to tease us at the locker room, like getting equipment. You boys should be playing. What are you doing coaching? This is an old man's job and we'd laugh about it. But I kept on, when he left Tux, I kept on seeing him at various tournaments, the night cup, you know, engine and whatnot. And I remember I ran into him doing the FIFA youth license. And they were going to, they were camping with under 17 at Fun Valley. We were there doing the course and they were going to bricks mm. uh, in India. And he was like, hey, dude, what's up? And I'm like, hey, coach, I'm here doing the FIFA youth license. And he was like, I hear that you're involved in your local structures and the provincial structures. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, look, when we get back from this tournament, can we connect so that I can expose you to something else? I was like, oh, okay. And literally, he gives me a call a couple of months. He's like, hey, we are assembling a new, a new under 17 team. Come, come be our extra pair of eyes. Come be an extra pair. I mean, come be another coach. 
and let's see where we can take it. So he took it like that, and and I was like, okay, cool. Couple of months got the call. I'm like, okay, let's let's do this. I was invited firstly, and then I realized, oh, these are the boys I worked with at Adler 13. So I kept on giving them backgrounds, like, ah, oh, I know this kid. I know this kid from so-and-so. I coached this one. This one, I know he plays for so-and-so. This one, I know this. And the coaches really liked the information that I that I was giving them and the insight. So funny enough, they were like, okay, we need somebody in this technical team who who has worked between the ages of, of under 13 and under 15 so that the player, the player transition is smooth. Because under 17 national team, what actually happens is, like, when we start a new cycle, it's players who are 14 and 15. Like this year, they have to get players who are uh, 14 and 15 for the next two years. So it's not just going to be like, hey, let's get uh, 16 and 17-year-olds. No. It's younger age. So that's where I've been working for the past couple of years. And they saw value in that, and that's how they kept me on. And so... Is your job a full-time job or a part-time job? No, 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 no. Uh, the only full-time position, like in junior national team, it was the head coach job. Okay. So everybody else would be part-time, so contracted. I know earlier when we started the conversation, you talked a little bit about uh, ace cheating. What's your take on ace cheating? Who? It's 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 twofold. Um, <laughs> look, firstly, I'm I'm against it, but you you must understand the dynamics of age cheating. Where does it happen? Poor communities, poor families that are trying to have opportunities, and it's coaches, parents, and in the past, it's been clubs that have taken advantage of of of, of people's situations because they want to get ahead. You know, we can't take shortcuts, unfortunately. We've got to do the work. And it's a sickness. It's a sickness in many third world countries. And on our continent and South America and even, you know, uh, in other parts of the world, it's, it's just been a sickness in, in football. But I'm still saying we need, to, we need to try our best to root it out. Coaches need to trust the processes. And coaches really need to do the work. Yeah. What's your take on Bafana Bafana failing to qualify for 2021 African Cup of Nations? Wow, that's a, that's a straight up failure. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a disappointing. It's, it's, it's disappointing. Uh, it's disappointing, especially we're so close. I mean, we needed one, was it one point? Yeah. And unfortunately, to stumble at such a point, people don't realize how sensitive it is because when you have a look at the whole system, how old are these players? Um, the current players that we're calling Bafana Bafana. Now it points back at us to say, guys, what are you guys producing in the next coming years to be the next Bafana Bafana age? Uh, the next Bafana Bafana group. So it shows a whole rot in the system. It shows all of us not working together. It shows that as South Africans will fail to produce. Mm. So people look at it as one team. I look at it as the whole nation. 
because that team belongs to all of us and everybody who's involved in football we should be disappointed and we should put up our hands if we're not producing the right coach we're not producing the right players we don't have the right competition systems then we've got to look at us yeah oh talking about uh producing what type of players are you producing uh at under 17 national team yo yeah there's um you know there's certain players <laughs> yeah i don't like i don't want to get this wrong <laughs> there's certain exciting players i can tell you that much but i don't know if our colleagues are are ready to coach that talent I mean we're talking we're talking um I know there's two boys one in Cape Town in fact three boys one in Cape Town one in Durban and one in Joburg mobile intelligent they can play the combination passes they are no different than spanish players mm. will they get the opportunity I'm not sure if our coaches will give them the opportunity I'm really not sure So I mean such talent is lost through the cracks and like I said to you earlier you're not just a creative player you you're a creative human being so if these kids don't get the opportunity they might go to drugs straight away to satisfy um themselves because creativity it needs to be loved it needs to be managed you need to give it a platform for for them to work and as coaches you don't coach how you played you can't coach a player according to your talent you coach him according to him and sometimes according to him i can't do that skill yeah. but i can challenge him to do more with that skill i can't do this you have to read up you have to research you have to say okay it's an outer body experience what are the targets do you give that talent and i don't think in this country that's why a lot of creative players die we all can pass at 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 a certain age not everybody can dribble and i like what uh, steve parker once told me he said to me be careful be careful what you coach out of a player because that could be the one thing that that would have made him a professional if he's a great dribbler and he's losing the ball he has to start somewhere by losing the ball he's not going to perfect it at 9 years 11 years or 15 years but maybe at 17 18 uh, 19 he becomes the best dribbler and you got a wizard but because you coached it out of him at 15 at 15 14 and you said pass you've made him an ordinary player now everybody can pass yeah no i agree with what you just said 100% man do you think the bafana bafana coach should have been fired Ooh, uh <laughs> Well, look, to put it to you, to put it to you this way, a mandate is a mandate. Um I might say that okay, that he he was tasked to to qualify and he didn't qualify. What would justify me saying he must stay on because you failed at your mandate? So, that that's that's the most bluntest way. I could have felt like, hey, as a colleague I hate to see colleagues lose jobs. But at the same time it's also ish. You've got contract, well you you've got an obligation and that was the objective they put for you and you agreed before you took the job. 
Mm. So what changes now after you failed that you'd want to stay on? Who do you think should coach Bafana Bafana next? Yeah. Yeah, I'm asking you tough questions, I know, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, asking this simply because you're in the setup of the national team and don't feel like you have to answer, man. Look, um, I don't know currently. Um, the coach has to be somebody who can get the best out of these 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 players that we have currently, but he has to be knowledgeable about South African game, number one. He has to know that he's only got about two years left in this current generation, and then he needs to make changes. So the next coach is going to be in a fix because we're starting World Cup qualifiers, number one. Mm. Number two, you're looking at it like, okay, World Cup after World Cup qualifiers, it's the Olympics. After Olympics, you continue with World Cup qualifiers. And then are you are we going or not to the World Cup? Then it's the biggest transition moment in South African football. The under 23 kids, can they step up to Bafana or not? So the next coach is going to have a longer contract, but he's got a more difficult job. All three teams in our group have qualified for AFCON, mind you. Yes. So what does that leave you? And the nation always says, we want to qualify. We want to qualify. The nation is tired of building. So what do you do? Yeah, it's a tough one. I don't even know myself because I don't have uh, the answers for that one. Let me ask you a little bit about uh, PSL, man. Uh, I know I was reading uh, Soccer Ladum a couple of weeks ago, um, and I just saw that uh, Chipa United, they fired the coach, and they came up with a list of all the coaches that they fired. Now, hmm. if Chipa United offered you a job today, would you go work for Chipa United? Ah, no way. <laughs> My wife wouldn't allow me. Nah. <laughs> nah, look, I think... I think partly that, um, you know, teams, teams haven't, they haven't grasped a certain concept. Why is it that your most successful teams keep their managers longer or their coaches longer? Because they're building a project. Mm. So at times, he needs to have the vision to build. So the, the change of coaches and the change of backroom staff one, it affects, okay, it affects your team, it affects the players. It affects what the players were building towards. No problem. But it also affects the coaches, the growth of the coach. So the coach that was fired, to tell you a little bit, a short story, you know that he's never, he's never completed 18 months in the PSL. Him as a coach. In the highest, in the highest level of football, he's never completed 18 months. Mm. So... Even that, he, he needs to gain stability first to be able to, to, to introduce his philosophy, to introduce his ideas. Two, the same coach has never built a team around him. He travels by himself. So he doesn't have a team behind the team. He hasn't spent 18 months in the PSL. And that means he's never recruited. And how many pre-seasons has he done? 
He's only done, I think, one in the PSL, two. One for cheaper, one for TS Galaxy. The rest, you know, um, he comes in mid-season. He comes in this, obviously. And the boss there, he presses panic buttons very easily. Yeah. So with that boss, we need the Brazilian rule. Two managers a season, and that's it. Now, you just brought an interesting one, the Brazilian rule. What's your take on that rule? Do you think it's going to work? It will work. It will work because now, as management, we have to be careful. We fire one, we keep we keep one. Because the previous season, are you aware that the Brazilians fired 27 coaches? They rotated 27 coaches amongst the teams. Hmm. That's a high turnover of coaches. So... If you're talking about two, you're talking about somebody who comes in, somebody who has to maintain us for the season. So you guys are even more giving to the issue. Guys, we can only fire, we can only hire one more coach. Should we give him time? Okay, let's give him time. Let's give him the season. And maybe the coach turns it around. People forget. So Alex didn't, so Alex didn't win anything in his first year or couple of seasons at Man United. So even... Even Klopp, before Liverpool reaped the rewards, people were already saying, yeah, third season, Klopp, Klopp, uh, Klopp's third season is, is bogey, what, what, he wins the Champions League. Following season, he wins the league. So all these things, they take patience. You build a project. I mean, uh, Pep also didn't win in his first season at City. But if you're patient and you actually go with the team, it's, 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 it's building in process. Otherwise, you're going to end up almost like in a Chelsea situation. A manager comes in two years, he gets success, next season he's out. Yeah. Now you become a volatile club. Yeah, last couple of questions for you, man. I know you're currently working with uh, Maximal Training. Is that what it's called? Yes, yes. What is it? No. Well, to, to... To basically put it to you in a, in, in a, in a compact form, it, it, it's a training methodology based on, on the brain. So you're creating, you're creating and designing sessions that you've got to ask yourself, what is the pressure on the brain, the decision-making on the brain? It's multifunctional. Um, you, can't, you can't just pass in a static position. Are you moving? What's the tactical aspect of your exercise? It's got so many things that challenge the brain because your brain is your biggest decision maker on the pitch. So that's what maximal training is basically geared towards, challenging the brain to operate better on a football pitch. What do you see yourself in the next five years? Well, that's actually changed there, boys. You know, uh, if you asked me about four months ago, I would have told you, I see myself in the PSL, you know? I think in the next five years, the reason why I've changed is actually uh, because of uh, Coach Sam. And my goal in the next five years is to suck out as much knowledge from that man uh, to be a better coach, to be a better person, to be a better mentor to the kids within the next five years. He's 61, so he's retiring in the next four years. And I know sometimes as ambitious coaches, somebody would say, but why? 
And I say to myself, but I need that mentorship. I need that fine, fine grain. And I shouldn't rush it. There's a time where I needed, I even learned holes about my coaching through him. I learned that sometimes I've got all this knowledge, I've got knowledge, but I don't use it practically. So there's things that he reminds me of every day. Like, dude, you're skipping this, you're skipping that, you're skipping this. And I'm like, dude, you've produced over 200 professional players. I'm nowhere near that number. So why should I rush myself and not sit at your feet and humble myself to learn from you? That's why it's changed. In the next five years, ask me after five years where I see myself. Right now, that man has not gone anywhere. There's a lot I need to learn about myself as a coach. There's a lot I need to learn about the club. There's a lot I need to learn about where I'm going and what I need and how to give the best of myself even under pressure situations at all times. But do you have ambitions of going to the next level? Hell yeah. I got, I got major ambitions to go to Europe, to go, to go to the highest level of football. But I've realized you also need to be a different type of quality. I mean, uh, crazy thing. It's the first time in my coaching career I go to training, I get homework. I mean, we were speaking about a, a scenario. Let me just give you some insight. The other week he says to me, um, do you know what detraining is? I'm like, yeah, I've heard of the concept. He's like, okay, how do you practically apply it? So I was like, okay, he took me by surprise, detraining. He's like, go research. So I go research. I know there's detraining of the muscles, but the kids were out because of COVID for, for 18 months. So what is the effect of that? So I'm like, okay, so muscle memory might have been lost. So it's not muscle memory that is actually alluding to. He was actually talking about uh, the mind. So I said, oh, okay, the mind. So where does that take you? It takes you to what the kids, why the kids are performing the way they are now is because they are going back to what they used to. So it's like trauma. So I had to go do research on trauma. How do you heal kids of trauma? So it's erased the past two years of football. So you're talking, I'm coaching under 17, but realistically, I'm coaching a 13-year-old who's 17 because he last played football a full season when he was 13 or maybe 14, under 13 or under 15, and he's missed that, but he's here at under 17. So the next principles we're talking about is, okay, how do we fast-track the processes? Because playing against older people, it only does so much. But what do we do as coaches to fast track the football growth? So those type of conversations are so stimulating. It is, it, it is also in relation to a player going to play at higher level. If I get a player from the rural areas, he's got the talent. How do I fast track him into a first team? How do I make him feel appreciated? So when I say that I'm sucking from this man, like I don't have ambition, it sounds like it, but at the same time, it's, I've been to the ABC level. I've coached it. I know what kind of environment has happened. I've been around an NFT club. And I've seen the type of coaches that we have. I could still think, okay, I could back myself. Yeah, I could do this. But honestly, if I'm honest with myself, for the type of football I love, there's something that we're lacking in South Africa. 
we all love Pep Guardiola, we all love Messi, but how do we struggle to coach players with that same similar talent in South Africa at the highest level? Then it means there's something wrong with us coaches here. And if you can put up your hand and say, dude, maybe, maybe my mentality is wrong or I don't have enough education, then it's sharp. I'm at a club where we're supposed to be leading in terms of in terms of quality, in terms of uh, African football, in terms of guys, what do we put out for South Africa? We've got to put out new talent. We've got to put out new coaches. Mm. So do you humble yourself to say, hey, I need to learn? Yeah, no, I know the guy you're talking about, Simon Bata, no, because uh, I, I, I used to play against ISLM Park back in the days, man. Uh, so I know who you're talking about. I know he's a very smart guy. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of South African coaches respect him and the youth players. Um, last question for you. This is the last question, I swear. <laughs> who are your top three coaches in Africa? Uh, Pito. Why? <laughs> Pito Musumani. I think, I think the achievements, the goal, the resilience, how he manages the squad, He's got that with him. Like, I really, really... His character, more than the tactical aspect, uh, is what I admire about him. He's, he comes out he comes out first for me. Two. That's actually a difficult one. When you say Africa. Yeah, no, I'm going to keep it in Africa, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know everybody's gonna say Pep Guardiola, club. No, one. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, two, two. Oh, okay. In fact, I don't even have to go far. Um, two. Coach Sam. Okay. Uh, Coach Sam is the vision he has for talent. It's the way he views the overall game. And it's the way he has, he has organic intelligence. So when he looks at a player, um, I'll make an example. Uh, he spoke about Temba Zwane once to me. He says, dude, as a coach, what do you think of Temba? I was like, ah, Temba's tough. You know, Temba... Timbers, he's, he's, he's doing well for Sundowns. His quality is like, okay, I'm, I'm asking you this as a coach. I'm like, yeah. Do you know that there's no offer from Timba in Europe? I stopped, took a deep breath. He's like, if he was that top, why, what's he still doing here? Mm. And then I said, yo, I don't know. I was like, maybe he's old. He's like, okay, how long has Temba been playing at this position? Like, hey, it's been a while now, from Vardos to Sundowns, straight, and then he went to Aces. He's like, okay, does he have a position? I'm like, I can't identify his position. Okay, defensively, what does he offer you? Does your, I'm like, no, not much. Offensively, what does he offer you? Is he something that we can sell to Europe? And I stood there and I was like, wow. Um, you're making me see the game in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a different manner. He's like, okay, let's talk about his development history. How many national caps does he have before breaking through in the Sundowns team? I'm like, not much because he was just an amateur player. And he was like, Steven Pina at 35. 
international caps before going to sign for Ajax Cape Town. And that's the difference. He has a development history. And I was like, oh, okay. So even at the highest level, he's still quizzing me about, you know, different types of coaches, what style is, 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 is. We all love a, a short passing game. Is it sustainable at the highest level? What would you do in terms of preseason? What would you do that makes it work? What type of players do you need? And all that, for me, the guy's got so much to give. That's why I'd say he's my number two. Pito for his achievement, his character. This man for his organic knowledge and for what he brings to the game. Number three, number three in Africa. Yeah. I'd actually have to go. In fact, in fact, I can go at any level. Number three for me. Number three for me has to be Nkolis. Uh, and I've told them this, Gomezulu. Uh, I've told them, oh, I rate you highly for the way you see the game. I rate you highly for the way you analyze the game, the way you prepare the team, the way you even have vision, the way you even scout, you go all out for what you do. And you're very passionate about what you do. And I know you demand excellence from the boys. And the fact that you always want to, your teams to play from the fact, the fact that you think about penetration, you think about goals. And I love the fact that he also measures the talent that he has. When he coaches a team from Alex, he'll tell you, I'm coaching boys from Alex, maybe they don't have, a co um, they haven't been coached well, they don't have a development background, but this is what I want to achieve. But when he was coaching at Pirates, you heard him talk about, oh, the quality of players, these boys are at this level, they can give you this much, you can push them this much, with training, with analysis, with competition, with what we're doing here, this is how much we can package it. And I think he gives you that, very articulate with his ideas, very precise with what he wants to do. I mean, I remember they did a set piece for Gauteng Future Champs that he designed. Literally, they scored from that and it had multiple uh, multiple points from Safa Super Sport. Still today, those coaches from those other teams don't know how he got that right. We practice, people practice set pieces every day. Odyssey had one day to do it and these guys scored at an international level. That should tell you something about the pedigree of the man. So those those would be my top three to rubber stamp. Silekedi, man, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Uh, I learned a lot about South African football, and uh, you know, good luck with you and your future, and you know, your coaching career, man. Mm, no, thank you, thank you, thank you, boys. Thank you for the interview. Finally. <laughs> you finally got it done. Yeah. And yeah, I think it was worth the wait. I thank you for hosting. And yeah, I hope everything goes well on your side. All right. Thank you, man. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Telling Our Football Stories. And thanks to Coach Select Eddie for sharing his story with us. Have a great day.